welcome to this exploration of an exciting and potentially revolutionary new propulsion concept that may help accelerate our journey to the stars. Please join us as we discuss scientific concepts in this forum we call Jets in Space. Welcome back to Jets in Space. This is your host, Alfred Belen, and this is episode seven with our special guest today, Jason Fry. Just a quick reminder about what we all are all about and um, what we're trying to do here. You know, this is about internal atmospheric propulsion, and we're trying to test the theory that um, turbine engines electrically powered can be used in the vacuum of space and underwater using uh, an airtight container. See previous episodes for more details on what we're talking about. But today we're excited about having our, our guest speaker, Jason Fry, and we're going to let Jason introduce himself here, and then we'll have a little bit of a conversation afterwards. So I'll turn it over to you, Jason. Alfred, thanks so much for having me on. This is uh, this has been a great pleasure to get to know you and uh, talk to your talk to your audience. And you know, when we first started talking, uh, I think this was about I don't know six weeks ago uh, when we had our first conversation. The first thing out of my mouth was probably, or the first thing that I wrote to you was, "I'm a space geek. I want to talk to you. I want to hear what you're working on." And you know, I, when I travel back in time, so to speak, and think about where my journey and caring about space policy and caring about where, you know, the sort of the future of humanity sort of came from was as a young kid and discovering who Carl Sagan was mm, and right. what Carl Sagan was talking about and talking about the cosmos and talking about, you know, the universe around us and how we were connected to it. And that, you know, I, I, a stork didn't drop me off, you know, <laughs> from the clouds <laughs> that I'm really made from stars um, and star stuff was something of a revolutionary concept for a young kid and have tested that theory over time and still believe it. You know, so I started out, I'm from here, from Minnesota. Um, I live in the Stillwater area now. So, you know, I joke that I'm closer to Wisconsin than I am Minnesota. And, you know, so it's not necessarily a really overt kind of a space place, but uh, throughout my life, I've just found different things that have interested me. So born and raised in St. Paul and uh, live right near the fairgrounds, if anybody's familiar with that area. And, you know, it's a blue collar area. If you've ever heard of the movie Grand Torino, Clint Eastwood, that's yeah. uh, actually the area where I'm from is where that story is based. It's yeah. called Frogtown in St. Paul. And then we moved when I got a little bit older and have always been passionate about government and about government policy. And obviously for the con you know, this conversation, right, we're going to talk about space policy mostly, yes. um, but kind of any policy, you know, insurance, national defense, doesn't really matter. Jason gets interested. <laughs> and so I was, you know, kind of growing up and saying, okay, well, I'm going to work for government. I'm in government or around government. I don't really know what I'm going to do, but in some way, shape or form, the future of the world, I'm going to have some say in it for better or for worse. <laughs> Hopefully I leave it better than I found it. And the, you know, the you know, debate is still out on that one, <laughs> but I get to college and, you know, the world is your oyster. They're giving you all these speeches and they're saying, you know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. You're going to change the world. And all of you are going to be, you know, secretary generals of the UN and presidents of the United <laughs> States. And then on my fourth day of college, September 11th happened. Oh, and sorry. right. So Jason couldn't sit and learn about Socrates and couldn't learn about why the grass is green. Uh, Jason had to go fight. And so Jason thinks he's going to go and, and listen to the Marines and go fight the Taliban and, you know, 
avenge 9-11, uh, only to never go to Afghanistan and to go to Iraq a couple of times. Mm. And so I learned sort of the heavy hand of uh, policy and foreign policy and sort of the inner workings and how it worked and sort of the game of chess that was being played. And they stuck me behind a desk as I started to get promoted. And I said, well, if I'm going to sit behind a desk, I'm going to go work in Washington. I'm going to go work in <laughs> policy where I've, you know, where I belong. Sure. And so I got out, went back to the same school, then ended up moving on um, to a different university. And then shortly thereafter, I started working in Congress and, you know, that was, wow, that was 13 years ago. Right. And immediately began diving into, you know, obviously foreign affairs, defense, right? Well, that was sort of my background, but really started to talk with this really weird startup out of California called SpaceX. <laughs> and no one had really talked about it, right? It wasn't really in the mainstream yet. So I started going to all these receptions with SpaceX and I thought they were just the coolest people in the world. I kind of knew who Elon Musk was. I sort of knew, <laughs> you know, what he was trying to do, but didn't really and had no idea who I was going to be talking with and sort of how influential they were going to be in my life kind of moving forward and obviously all of human uh, kind. Right. And so then I joined uh, as a staffer, you get all these different options, right? So I joined a staff caucus called um, Space Advocates. And what, you know, when you think of DC, right, you think of this like heavy hitting, you know, power hungry, you know, mad crazy world. And to a certain extent it is, but right. I didn't realize that there's actually a ton of space nerds there. Mm -hmm. And I say that as affectionately as I can. These people were some of the smartest, best, nicest people uh, that I met in my time there. And I learned, you know, so much about space policy and NASA and sort of the corporate sort of commercial side that we're really seeing evolve today. And this was really after the, this was after the, the shuttle uh, program was uh, canceled, uh, was yeah. closed. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously, right, there was a lot of, uh, you know, when the Obama administration came in, I think there was a lot of hope that NASA was going to re resume, you know, human space flight, uh, you know, from the United States perspective. And obviously those hopes were dashed and, and then, but they had a much bigger vision, right? And so we got to, you know, meet and work with these companies really directly as a part of this staff uh, association. But one of the coolest things was I got a briefing from the, one of the team leaders of the James Webb uh, telescope. Nice. And obviously today, right, is the big day. And, you know, the deep field, it's just, it's so incredible what they've discovered and what they've created and found and how they've developed the system. So back in, let's see, 2013, I started hearing really about this telescope that isn't going to get launched for another 10 years. And of course, they were behind schedule then, <laughs> but, you know, better late than never. Right. And it's not like space is going anywhere. <laughs> and so really started to work, um, you know, deeper and deeper with some of these companies. Obviously, you know, Amazon started to come on, Virgin Galactic started to right. come into our office. We really just started to make connections with these people. It just interested in me. And it wasn't like that we had, you know, sort of like the comprehensive space policy bill. My boss was never on um, science and technology uh, committee in the house, but it was just something that I was drawn to personally. And so then I left um, when I left the Hill you know, obviously I'm not working necessarily for one of those contractors or companies today. Um, but I went and worked at a policy shop that really focused on autonomous capabilities, space flight, uh, supersonic travel, 
and really kind of get into the IAP space where different types of technologies can do different things. And we started to learn a little bit more about harvesting minerals and asteroids and processing them on the moon and tapping right. into resources and, you know, all this, and this whole other world opened up to me. And so then I uh, moved back and worked in more of a corporate role. And now I've have, uh, I had the opportunity to work for a firm based out of California, just an awesome firm and worked with them uh, for about a year. And now I've started uh, my own startup uh, called Terrapin Strategy. And what we yep. do is help companies that are looking to engage with the government or need to uh, you know, develop a government strategy mm, uh, to okay. implement that and either you know, help them do that or give them the tools that they need to uh, go ahead and do that themselves. Because what we found, um, you know, what I found throughout my time in, in government, because I don't say politics, right? Politics and government are two very different things. <laughs> sure. uh, but what I found was that typically, like with a rocket or like with your technology that you're talking about developing, if you don't have sound set, good initial conditions, right. you know, everybody, you know, Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's what happens immediately once you start engaging with the government. So right. you've got to have a good plan. If the James Webb telescope wasn't lined up right, we never would have got the deep field shoots uh, that we got today. And just what an exciting time and just like a perfect time for us to have this conversation. So that's sort of the 25 years of Jason's career so far in a few minutes. That's perfect. No, that's great. Because I, this is, like I said, um, introductory kind of a thing. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to agree to be on the podcast so we can kind of discuss, you know, the the possible implications of this new propulsion system and whatnot. So, and, you know, like I said, in the previous section, you know, if, if anyone wants further details on the technology itself, please check out the previous episodes and our website and things like that. But, but yeah, so I think the, one of the things that I think our technology is combining is both green technology as well as, you know, propulsion. Cause you know, with current chemical rockets, um, it's, some people have even said that, um, Chemical rockets is harmful to the atmosphere when you when you're launching, you know, um, rockets from from ground level up into orbit and whatnot. Um, and even though we're not focusing on, you know, um, heavy lifting capability, we're going to leave that to like SpaceX and NASA. If we have um, like a green, like a reusable system, like what we're um, introducing, what we're trying to develop, then we we can use electricity as the main fuel source and you know, solar panels, possibly nuclear, which which is still, you know, like is safe, even though some people may disagree with that from a from a policy standpoint. But but I think that if we um if we move in this direction, it can kind of open up new frontiers. That's what we're hoping for here um, with our project and whatnot. But I don't know if you in your travels within government circles and whatnot, is anyone else kind of pursuing? I, I think I've read through like some of the blogs on Boeing and whatnot. They're they're going through things like um environmentally sustainable fuels, you know, like less emissions, things like that. But I don't know if anyone's, and I think even either Boeing or GE is looking at a purely electric engine at some point in the future, which is great, but it's still not what we're talking about here, like enclosed in a, in a container that can provide, you know, propulsion in, in space and, and underwater. But, but yeah, I'm curious, Jason, if in your circles that you run in, um, in the government and in the corporate world, um, is there anyone else pursuing kind of like green technology or electric propulsion that you know of? You know, in my experience, it's it's really sort of an all of the above. Obviously, you know, the nuclear use case was seen as something, you know, out of a 
Isaac Asimov yeah, story or something, something that doesn't seem plausible. And right. now I think Elon Musk has even mentioned it. I think uh, Jeff Bezos has maybe even mentioned it, that it's starting to become really mainstream, obviously due to the speed and the propulsion that you'd be able to get. What I haven't heard discussed, and this is where this is when we first had our conversation. What I think is really interesting about your technology is moving from a you know lunar base off-site or from lunar base to lunar base. You know, short areas uh, maybe initially before you can get you know the full proof of concept of the technology. But is right. is moving people and goods is going to be so critical, right. and especially when you look at like sort of the first thing. You know, like Artemis Accords, um, some like global laws and global policies, and sort of when you hear people talk about s- space and like what space policy and space law means um, to other countries, I think they see, you know, the U.S. as sort of the space hegemon, like we are see on you know planet Earth, right? But there's going to be all types of different technologies and different things that different countries are going to be able to bring to the table in order to democratize. And to you know provide benefits to you know other countries and other players, and so I think like again just sort of like to set the table maybe from like a policy uh, perspective, I think it's really critical to think of like all the different pieces and components that you're going to need to have. You're going to need to have human transports. You're going to need to be able to move goods and service you know goods, and so there's going to be an all of the above. And I think that you're thinking about this at just the right time. And, you know, it's really a visionary idea, especially, you know, obviously your, your water-based idea too, but obviously in space, I think for this conversation. So obviously to your question, I think that obviously the large companies are going to be, you know, doing lots of things. And most of the things that, you know, they, they can't talk about because most of it's classified in the sense that they're doing it on behalf of, or in partnership with the government. And there is a space race, right? China, Russia, (laughs) India. You know, are all competing here. So I, I think that there's going to be an all the above technology, right? Just like there's planes, trains, and automobiles, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be all kinds right. of different needs uh, for right. different things. And especially in the vacuum of space, um, something like yours, I think is just a really cool idea. That's great. No, I, I really appreciate those uh, those insights there, Jason. So I guess in, I'd also like to pick your brain if, if you might, if you don't mind, um, in regards to, you know, like the how policy has been evolving over time. Cause I know I remember uh, maybe it was uh, maybe it was the 2000 election cycle. I want to think, I want to say like Newt Gingrich was saying that we were going to get people back on the moon and then, you know, it with different administrations, it kind of waxes and wanes in regards to people wanting to go back into space, you know, and you mentioned the, the cancellation of the space shuttle program. And now we do have, you know, like a, a plan. I think the the first woman on the moon is supposed to be um, sometime in the future. So there there is programs that are that are out there in the future. But do you feel though that it's it you know it's 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 a, like you said it's a space race at this point. Do you feel that we're going to be going back to space for good, or do you think it's going to be also kind of like a I don't know like the waxing and the waning as it as it has been with administrations as they come and they go? Absolutely, it's a really good question. So if you think about the technology, you know, I was told this when I was a kid, and I'm sure you were too. When I was playing my Game Boy and playing Tetris poorly, <laughs> and an old timer would come by and say, "There was, you know, there's more technology in that thing in your hand than there was in the rocket that took the astronauts on Apollo 11 to the moon and back." That's true. And so, so Moore's law, you know, applies here a little bit. 
There's definitely something, though, I think that we all need to keep in mind. I think we talked a little bit about it with the, the shuttle being changed. And I remember in 2004, George Bush in his uh, Republican convention speech sort of pitched this idea of a human base on the moon. Mm. And obviously successive administrations have taken similar tracks and sort of like not to bring up Elon Musk again, even though, cause he's in <laughs> the news constantly, sure. but Mitt Romney said, Mitt Romney said that when he was Republican nominee, that if uh, one of his advisors came and said that we're going to put a human you know, base on the moon, that he would fire them. Oh, wow. And I think that, you know, yeah, yeah I think 10 years later, you know, one person, you know, is maybe not right about the future of space policy. Right. And I think that, yeah, we are, and I'm, you know, again, not a political statement by any means, right. simply just the facts bearing themselves out. And I think that in part is because when you look at historically how U.S. appropriations and policy has sort of benefited um, ULA or United Launch Alliance, um, you know, Boeing and Lockheed Martin, obviously they're the big players historically. But what what SpaceX has done is the the Falcon 9 and the the ability to reuse you know rockets. So the Apollos, right? All it was if there were seventeen, I think seventeen Apollo missions. There were seventeen different rockets, right. seventeen new rockets that have never been flown before. So they were just as costly, just as susceptible as crashing as the first one was. Falcon Nine, on the other hand, is one of the most revolutionary inventions of all time because you're obviously have a reusable rocket. We're, we're putting up satellites faster. Look what, how responsive he was with Starlink uh, in over Ukraine and providing internet access and communication channels for the government. And so I think it's like, we're, we're so far beyond where I think we thought we would be even just a few years ago. No, that's true. I think Mitt Romney would probably like another <laughs> crack at that question. Right. I think he would definitely look at it differently today. And he's a smart guy, right? He so is. he would he would look at it differently, I think. Right. So I think that we're you know obviously we're talking human flight to or you know space flight to um, to Mars, right? right? And obviously that's sort of the stated mission of SpaceX. And what happens when we get there? I think we're going to go beyond that. So policy has changed in the sense that we're going to have reusability. We're going to have more reliability. It's going to be cheaper. You know, I think that what SpaceX and um, Blue Origin's goal is to have a satellite launch costs less than a million dollars. And right now, you know, yeah. it's in the 20 and 30 million, right? So you're talking an order of magnitude less in, in terms of cost. And that just is just a complete game changer. And then once you start harvesting asteroids and you start putting bases on places and you need to, you know, move people and goods uh, around, yeah, we're never coming back. Yep. And, and I think again, just the, the environmental damage that, that we have done to our planet in terms of mining or some in other ways, right? Um, obviously, it's a major issue here in my home state of Minnesota is is potentially destroying our ecosystem. And I'm not saying again that we are, but there's certainly a concern there. Well, that concern sort of dwindles when you're talking about outer space, right? And so I think that our policy is going to evolve, and that's again that's where IAP really comes in, right? Is like moving things around and and making the and facilitating. Uh, you know, uh, you know, harvesting of, of asteroids or, or resources, you know, lunar resources, Martian resources, whatever it might be. Obviously, we're not going to Venus or, you know, Saturn anytime. Right. But, you know, some of these other planets and uh, moons or things that may have resources that we don't have here provides all kinds of opportunities. And so, yeah, I think from a policy perspective, you're seeing that, you know, that's people start to go, oh, this isn't science fiction. And one more piece is in terms of the you know, where the U.S. sort of stands is we're clearly our markets and our policy is leading the way. 
but China, Russia, India, other players are definitely um, involved. And so I think you're going to see, again, you're going to see a space race from an economic perspective and you're going to see partnerships form. You're going to see treaties. You're going to see agreements and, and you know, we have a space force, right? So we have a military yeah. for space yeah. now. All of these things are going to intersect and it's a really exciting time for people like us that like this issue. Um, but I think it's going to have far more ramifications on us as a society and a you know, human race than I think that we expect today. And I, I might be kind of quoting from Elon and whatnot, but but I know some of the other issues that, that come up with space technology and, and like Elon's uh, mission to, to make our species a spacefaring species is is like overpopulation and things like that. So, and, and, you know, I, I see it, you know, I see it as if, 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 if population is an issue, we should be, you know, moving people off the planet into be, you know, into colonies and whatnot. And I don't know how long that's going to take us to get, you know, like into like a... I think one of the terms they use is like a diaspora where, where you know, a, a large number of people are leaving the, the planet Earth and, and living on other colonies outside of the, you know, like on the moon or Mars or things like that. Um, but I could see that as a policy issue as well. You know, like if, if there's less people on the Earth, then it's going to be less, you know, carbon emissions, you know, and um, as technology changes and whatnot, and then less need for harvesting resources from the Earth if we can get them from... Um, you know, asteroids and, you know, even growing food in space and things like that. But I'm not sure from a policy standpoint, is that something that people kind of emphasize or it's kind of still in the infancy of our space technology where we can't we can't envision, you know, like um, a large population off the planet at this point? It, it does seem a little far fetched, <laughs> you know, if you've watched the movie, you know, if you've watched the movie, The Martian or something, right? right, right it seems right. like, no, no, I don't think so. But it's it's, it's really possible. And, you know, Soon we're going to start talking about stimulus checks to Mars, and you know I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be a great day when we can do that. So, and then, and then I, another thing I have as a as a kind of an interesting question, but um, you mentioned policy and government. Um, I don't understand maybe the, like even the laws in regards to when we when we actually you know put the landers, we put you know Apollo Seven and the rest of the Apollo missions um, on the moon. Did we have some type of a legal right to go back to those areas? And are they legally part of the United States? Because we have like, you know, we have equipment there. We have like the the section of the lunar module that was left behind and the American flag and, you know, and the lunar rovers and whatnot. So and if, if someone to go back to that site is like, is that American territory or it's still kind of like international or it's open to anyone who who colonizes like that area? Pretty much. That's a super good question. So. Obviously, possession is nine tenths of the law <laughs> okay. to a certain extent. Right. But in terms of actual hard, like, you know, black and white pen to paper, most international space policy has a very Cold War esque sort of flavor to it. Okay. And so you've got, you know, we're, you know, coming out of a, you know, of a time, of, you know, of a multipolarity world where we were worried about, you know, colonization or we're worrying about, you know, forced appropriation or, or acquisition. And so space is still a relatively open area where any international treaty or, or, you know, international law that exists is really saying, Hey, basically the United States or China or whoever can't own space, right? right. Space is space. Right. You can, to your point about the lunar rover or talk about, you know, maybe a place on Mars, there will be, Things that will have to be worked out 
you know, but consistent U.S. policy, you know, sort of the uniparty, you know, foreign policy of the United States um, over the last several decades has been pretty consistent where, hey, we're going to abide by those international treaties and those rules to, to the extent that we have to. Um, but if we're going to, you know, develop a space force with military capabilities, if we're going to begin harvesting something, if we're going to drop a rover somewhere, we're not going to ask for permission, right. right? We're going to work in partnership. And I think, you know, the International Space Station is a good example mm. of sort of the U.S. policy, right? Where it's clearly a U.S. craft, you know, overly, you know, I think it's, you know, 80% or something of the funding comes from the U.S. But you'll see, you know, the the extender arm is Canadian right. and we have, you know, foreign, uh, you know, astronauts, you know, join us. And, and for a while we were getting sent up by the Russians. And so, you know, there's always going to be some measure of cooperation, but I think that anybody that's interested in this issue needs to sort of come with a clear head and say, okay, well, it's going to start looking a whole lot like planet earth pretty quickly here. And those treaties are going to be tested. Um, boundaries are going to be tested. And I think that it was in Dick, you know, it's really, says a lot that one of the first things in terms of space policy that Trump did uh, was say, okay, hey, we're going to build a space force. And then, okay, we're going to, you know, start colonizing the moon and we're going to start moving that way and start, you know, you know, mining resources from there. So I think it was pretty clear what the United States is saying that, you know, that they're going to be doing. And I think it's something that anybody that's involved in space needs to sort of, you know, have a sober eye towards. Right. That's great. Okay. No, I, I think um, we've covered a lot of ground at this point, you know, and, and I really appreciate you being on the podcast. You know, I'm I'm hoping that um, we'll have a wider audience because your your name will bring some, you know, um, uh, some some clout to people. That Most are popular person in the world. There I can't go. imagine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. I hope you got bigger servers because you're going to need them. <laughs> and then we'll we'll definitely hopefully maybe some of your friends at SpaceX will you know like <laughs> jump on the idea and they'll they'll be contacting <laughs> yeah. us and like you know. But uh, we appreciate your no. You're definitely we appreciate your expertise and your. Um, and for your service, thank you for your service in the military. Appreciate that as well. Right, um, right. And then definitely, you know, um, I want to work with you and we want to work with you um, in the future in regards to developing this idea. And hopefully it will, um, you know, like we say, um, advance the cause for you know, increasing you know, like human presence, you know, in the amongst the stars in outer space. So uh, thank you for your time, Jason. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Al. Be well. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Jets in Space. There are numerous ways that you can help us out. Number one, you can subscribe to this podcast. Number two, you can check out our website, bellinaerospace.com. Number three, you can make a prototype IAP model at home. Number four, you can support us financially on Patreon at patreon backslash Jets in Space. Number five, tell your friends about us and send them to this podcast and our website. Number six, if you have friends and or family who work in the aerospace industry, talk to them about this concept and ask them to check out our materials as well. Number seven, help us find companies who make airtight containers, turbine engines, electric motors, and any manufacturers who may be able to help us move IAP forward. Number eight, I would love to interview aerospace engineers, aerospace enthusiasts, officials at NASA, SpaceX, anyone who can help us move our project forward. Number nine, if you know any investors, venture capitalists, sharks from the shark tank, please send them our way. We will be happy to let them invest in this project. And finally, number 10, as a Catholic Christian, I would also personally greatly appreciate your prayers for this endeavor. Until the next episode, let's dream of the stars. 